Good morning, Anthem Online. We are so excited that you have joined us this morning. As you can see, everyone is here getting ready for worship, and we are glad that you have chosen us to join us for worship. From wherever you are watching, happy Sabbath. Welcome. We are glad you're here. For those of you that are in California that are watching, we want to let you know and remind you, we are so excited about our upcoming EP concert. It is tonight. If you are watching, it is this evening at 7 p.m. right here in the auditorium, right here at the Loma Linda University Church. We want you to register though, so please jump on our Instagram, anthemxlluc, and find the registration link and join us. It's going to be amazing. We've already started planning for it, and it is going to be awesome. All original anthem music, and we want you there. For those that can't join us, I promise that's okay. We have all the music streaming right now on all streaming platforms. So if you have loved the originals that we've shared with you that have come out of this congregation, that have come out of this church, they are now on streaming platforms for you. So please go worship to that music. Um, and we hope it touches you as well as it has, as significantly as it has touched us. You guys, honestly, it looks like we're about ready for worship, so let's head into the auditorium where we're going to have an awesome worship set, um, and Pastor Miguel will be bringing us the word today. Happy Sabbath. Welcome to Anthem. All for one and one for all. United we stand, divided we fall. So that sentence adopted by the French playwright Alexandre Dumas captured perfectly the spirit of unity in his most famous work, The Three Musketeers. Now, my boys aren't old enough to know anything about Dumas or his protagonist, the fearless captain of the guard and protector to King Louis XIV, D'Artagnan, but they already understand that when they bind together, there is nothing they can't do. So let me take you to a debate that's been raging in my house for the past few months. Both my kids think that they are old enough, mature enough, obedient enough, responsible enough to have a dog. I don't. And so for the past few months, the conversations have gone something like this, Daddy, can we get a dog? Can you get a job first? Daddy, can I buy a puppy? You don't have any money. Daddy, I'll give you my allowance. That doesn't work that way. And these kids, I'll be honest with you, church, they don't play fair. Because lately they've enlisted my wife's help and saying no to your spouse, for those of you who are happily married, you'll know that that's a much more difficult proposition. And so the conversations have shifted a little bit. What we do now is Linda will walk into the room and, and begin to rub my shoulders and say, finally, you know, finally you have grown into the man, the father, the husband that I always hoped you could be. There's only one thing that's missing for our existence to be idyllic. You need to get a dog. And then my little one will come into the room as soon as she has stopped talking and she'll look, he'll look into my eyes and say, Daddy, buy me a puppy, a little one wheeze. How are you going to say no to that? And so my heart 
And my resolve have begun to crumble. I'm bending, but I'm not breaking yet. So they send in the closer. <laughs> the nine-year-old. And he'll look at me and say, Dad. Oh, Dad. You're as brave as David. <laughs> you're as wise as Solomon. You're as strong as Samson. And to boot, you're as good-looking as Joseph. And I say, yes, yes, I am. And he says, bias a dog. <laughs> and so I'd like to introduce you now to the latest and newest member of the Mendes household. I know. I mean, how can you say no to that? And her name is Mia. And Mia is a testament to this reality that when you work together, there is nothing you can't achieve. <laughs> and so I want to invite you now to open your Bibles to a passage that should be familiar to you by now. After all, we've been living in it the whole summer. I'm referring, of course, to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Last week, Pastor Joey magnificently told us about the first response, this idea of awe. And today, as we continue meditating upon that, I'd like to posit to you that a church in awe is a community that is united. So as you thumb through your Bible, or as you pop open your app and look for the passage in the phone. Let me tell you that today and just for today, we're going to be focusing primarily on verse 44. Acts chapter two, verse 44, where Luke tells us. He tells us that all the believers were together and that they had everything in common. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Now pause for a moment. Anthem Church, I want those words to sink into your mind because the reality is we live in a really divided time. I mean, we've got debates on Delta variants and mutterings on mask mandates. We've even got some outrage because, well, because an eccentric billionaire decided to leave everything behind and shuttle off into space. And there you have these two words that jump out at us as witnesses about the stark reality in which we live and the idyllic dream to which God is calling us to. And those words are, of course, unity and commonality. They had everything in common and they were united in all things. So how is it possible that the church manage to have co-mutuality even before they possessed any creeds? Well, perhaps we should start, well, we should start at a pulpit. You know, preacher, preachers like to talk about pulpits, and Peter has gotten up and he has preached a message. And he is preaching it to a congregation comprised of people of all tongues, tribes, 
and nations. And it's a responsive church, just like this church. And the community gathered there has caused Peter to be carried away in his oratory. I mean, how else can you explain what he says in verses 38 and 39? So let me read that to you. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise... Well, the promise is for you, for you Gentiles, and for your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, how do I know? How do I know that Peter has been carried away in his oratory? Well, it's because just a few weeks after he has preached this sermon, promising communion and integration of the Gentiles, He goes to Galatia. He goes to Galatia, and he starts eating and drinking with the Gentiles there. And when he hears that there is a delegation from Jerusalem coming to examine the church, he takes Barnabas and the other Christian believers there and forms a separate table. So what gives Peter? How can you, on one hand, talk about integration, about the promise that is now made open and available to every tongue, every nation, and every spirit, and yet at the same time, go and form your own little clique, your own little table? That's because, it's because Peter has learned what you and I already know. Preaching is way more difficult than doing. I mean, it's really easy to talk about unity. It's a completely different thing to be united. And so, Anthem, if we are to build a church, a church that possesses the second response called unity, we must first grapple with this reality. It is far easier to love my own people than it is to partake of a love that creates a people. Let me say that again for you. It is far easier to love my people than it is to partake of a love that creates a people. And make no mistake about it, as the Spirit is descending upon those believers from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation, what God is doing is He is creating a new people. Now, I don't know where you come from. I don't know if you're a student or if you're on your last legs trying to give this faith thing a last chance, I don't know if you are finally finding a relationship with Jesus. I don't know if you feel encouraged because finally you can find a place to worship in. But whatever it is, whatever tongue, tribe, nation, you have come from here at Anthem, God is in the business of creating a new people. But how does he do that? Well, perhaps we should ask Philip. Not Pastor Phil. (laughs) Philip, the one who, in chapter 8 of the book of Acts, hears an angel. 
And the angel tells him to go to the desert. God moves like that, doesn't he? He calls you to go to a place that sometimes is so desolate that it isn't even a place. Maybe when you were filling out that application to go to school, you heard about this place called Loma Linda in the armpit of Southern California, and you said, I guess I'll go there. But friend, make no mistake about it. God is calling you to this desolate place because he wants to create through his spirit of unity something new. And so Philip is called to this desert. And as he is inhabiting that place, he finds, well, he finds an Ethiopian. Now, just a side note, Ethiopia in the time of scripture was a shorthand for the farthest place you could go without falling off the map. For the farthest place you could go to find civilization. It was kind of like Texas now. (laughs) By the way, if I don't come back next week, you know why that is. But... He finds this Ethiopian, and it's, he's not only an Ethiopian, he's a eunuch. And this eunuch has just come from Jerusalem because he has tried to participate in the temple services. He has tried unsuccessfully, I might add, because as soon as he had gotten to the temple, they would have greeted him with a passage from Scripture. Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, No eunuch shall ever partake of the Lord's assembly. Here's the really heartbreaking thing. When we are driven by another spirit, we can use this book to create division. We can use the Bible to cut. We can use the Bible to exclude. We can use the Bible to isolate. No eunuch shall have a presence in the Lord's assembly. And here's this man, right? He's desperately thumbing through the pages of Scripture, trying to find his story in this story. How many times have you done that? How many times have you opened the Bible, desperately trying to find your own experience in there, and then you get it, and you underline it, and you highlight it, and you... You let those words imprint on your heart. You say, this is for me. That's what the eunuch is doing. And Philip, well, Philip making his best Usain Bolt impression begins to run after the chariot. And when he catches up to it, He catches up to it because he is pushed by a spirit that wants us to be united, by a spirit that never will leave you alone with the text. So here at Anthem, here at Anthem, we believe in this practice of communal Bible study church because we believe that no one should ever be left alone with the text. So find someone, join a life group, connect with someone, talk to the Anthem leadership about how you can experience Bible study as a cohort, united. Well, Philip catches up and and there's a question there that is asked. 
You know, the eunuch is reading the prophet Isaiah, and so he says, tell me, is the prophet talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? He asks a question, and what Philip wants from him is a confession. But we need to be very careful because there's always this space that exists between question and confession. And too often, when we receive a question, we try to fill that space with rhetoric. How many times have you been in a Bible study where somebody asks a question with the only purpose of creating division? Or how many times have you found someone from a different faith tradition and come to them and said, you know that the Sabbath is the seventh day? You know you're not supposed to eat shrimp? I've got my eyes on you because I know you're going to persecute me at some point. We try to fill these spaces between question and confession with division. But that's not what Philip does. Philip fills that space with conversation. Because Philip has understood the primary ingredient that keeps a church united, and that is this. Before you tell your own truth, you need to listen. Before you tell your own truth, you need to listen. You need to listen because the Spirit of God will not leave us alone. The Spirit of God, dear church, is going to push us forward and move us out. And where is this out that we are being moved to? Well, let's ask ask Peter. You know, Peter, the fisherman, he's at a place, at a house, and he's rather uncomfortable because he's at a tanner's house. And tanners in the ancient world aren't people that get this wonderful bronze glow like I do. Tanners are people that work with skin. They operate in death. And somehow, the sea salt that is coming from the shore in Joppa And the scent of skin and animal flesh has combined as Peter is praying and Peter feels hungry because it's time for barbecue. And out of heaven comes a sheet with all kinds of animals. And Peter hears a command. Kill and eat. And he is so stuck in his way of understanding faith that the command needs to come three times for him to understand what God is trying to do. And what is God trying to do? Well, there's a knock at the door. And it's a delegation from a Roman centurion. His name is Cornelius. And Cornelius is a powerful man. Cornelius is a man that represents the aspiration of a lot of us, those of us who wish we had power. Cornelius is a representation of the system, of the empire, 
of the principalities and powers of this world that strive to keep us separated. But Cornelius isn't just an aspiration, he's also an anomaly because he's a God-fearer. And so the invitation is made to Peter to come, now leave the tanner's house and go to a Roman centurion's house. And Peter does. And as he is preaching the gospel, he realizes something. Something that Philip noticed all the way back in chapter 8, and that is this. When we fill the spaces between question and confession with conversation, we get to participate in something miraculous. Transformation. Because true faith, true faith anthem is always going to find water. There is water here. What prevents me from being baptized? And not only baptized, but in Cornelius' case, that same spirit, that same spirit that descended upon Peter at Pentecost is now at play in Cornelius' life. Something has changed for the fishermen. And we like to talk a lot about change, don't we? We live, after all, in a society that champions change. You don't like your major? Switch it. Don't like your boyfriend? Leave him. <laughs> but change can never be your compass. Change needs a compass. And something has shifted in Peter's life. And my question is, in his change, what's the compass? Anthem, in your change, what's the compass? And perhaps, perhaps, and just perhaps, the compass ought to be the, some, the same one that drove Paul. The apostle to the Gentiles that says famously, I have become all things to all people. How much so? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is talking about everything he has suffered for the Gospels. And he says that the Jews have whipped them 39 times on four occasions. Now, what you probably don't know is that that punishment given to Paul, 39 lashes, is the punishment that somebody would receive if they were to live and cohabitate with Gentiles and then try to get back into the synagogue. They would say, sure, you have to come back. But before we let you in, 39 lashes. And Paul does this because he values the Gentiles so much that he is willing to suffer for them. But he is also in love with the Jews so much that he is willing to let them hurt him. Unity. I have become all things to all people. Which is why it's so surprising, the scene, the scene that we find in Acts chapter 15. It's a church council, a church board meeting, one agenda, and one item on the docket. Shall we allow Gentile Christians to become part of our fellowship 
after they have confessed Christ. There's a delegation that has come from Antioch. Peter gets up and runs to the mic, stands at the lectern and says, I have seen it. I've seen it in Cornelius' life. God is doing something new. Paul and Barnabas at the other lectern, we have seen signs and wonders being performed by Gentiles. But the church, and the church is trying to domesticate difference. We try to do that, don't we? We want you to be a little bit different, but not so different that it makes us uncomfortable. And so we try to domesticate your difference. We try to domesticate your difference because we're afraid. The church in Acts chapter 15 is afraid, afraid that if Christians stop being circumcised, they are going to lose their identity. Our church is afraid. We're afraid that if we change worship style, nobody will come. We're afraid that if we open the doors, too many people will come. We're afraid that if we ordain women, well, that's a whole nother story. We're afraid. And when we try to create unity out of fear, something terrible happens to your church. What we end up with is isolation. You see, the church had experienced in Acts chapter 2, Babel in reverse. Everybody, the scripture says, heard the message of the gospel in their own language. And they knew that story from long ago. Back in Genesis, they were all together. Do you remember? all together in one place, speaking the same language. They didn't want to go out, though. They wanted to build a tower. They wanted to stay comfortable. Wanted to stay insulated and isolated, secluded. And what does God do? God comes down and confuses them. Because God's purpose is for you to go out. To go out into the world, to be fruitful, to multiply. That's what disciples do. Or they're afraid. And so James comes up. James, the brother of Jesus, does this wonderful process where he weaves together the story of the Gentiles with the story of this book. He says, God has had your name in his heart from the very beginning. God knew the Ethiopian eunuch. He knew him because in Isaiah chapter 56, it says, the eunuchs will receive a name better than that of sons and daughters. Cornelius might not have known God's name, but God knew Cornelius. You were in God's plan from the very beginning, not in spite of your diversity, but because of your diversity. And then James says, it doesn't matter how difficult and how deep the tear is in the church. When the church subjects to the spirit of unity, nothing can drive us apart. That master preacher, Fred Craddock, 
Fred Craddock, when reflecting upon Acts 15, puts it like this. He says, the real thing that is going on is that the Christians, and they were all Christians to be sure, didn't only disagree with one another. Individual Christians disagreed with themselves. Their heart was torn. And when we lash out against someone because of their position, the reason for the ferocity in the attack is that I am at war with myself. And when I am at war with myself, my tendency is to create casualties of the people I love. So the spirit of unity would have us as an anthem community, as the Loma Linda University Church, as Adventists and as Christians to put our weapons down and to say we are no longer at war with ourselves. How? Louis Pasteur, a French scientist, once wrote that when one is suffering, one doesn't ask. One doesn't ask what country or what religion you have. One is simply called to say, you suffer. That's enough for me. You belong to me. And I will help you. And so maybe... Maybe as we reflect upon the second response, which is unity, we would do well to remember that old adage, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And this morning, you probably are asking, Pastor, what are essentials? I don't know. But Paul knows. Paul the one, the one who was beaten for unity's sake, says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Because the only body capable of taking in our bodies with all our different marks is the body of Christ. So we've asked you throughout the summer series to participate in these challenges with us. And today, today we would not only ask, but demand something of this community. We would ask for five minutes of your time. Just five minutes. Starting today at 2.42 p.m. We're going to be praying from 2.42 p.m. to 2.47 p.m. And it's going to be a simple prayer. We're praying for that spirit of unity to descend upon our church. We're praying for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is call in to this number. 909-361-6220. That's 909-361-6220. You'll be prompted to enter an ID. 
And the ID is the address of the church. And if you don't know the address to this church, you spend too much time on Google Maps. But the ID number is 11125, followed by the pound sign. So you dial 909-361-6220, and then you enter 11125 and the pound sign. We don't need you to say anything. We just want you to be there. To hear a community that is praying for that spirit of unity. Because the only body that is capable of taking us all in is the body of Christ. There is so much going on. What an awesome time of worship. What an awesome time of experiencing the freedom of having just an, an expansive time of worship and singing and being in community together, whether you are here in person or whether you are online. Thank you again for being here. We want to let you know, if you are not here joining us, there is still a way that you can be a pivotal a pivotal part of what we are doing here. We don't do any of this. We can't do any of this without, obviously, the God's support and his, his uh, inspiring all that goes on, but also your support. Please, if this is your church home, we invite you to give. We have a couple opportunities to do that. You can text the word LLUC to the number 77977 and follow the instructions to give that way. Or you can jump on the website, lluc.org slash give and give to Anthem there. This all happens because of you. Thank you for your continued support. Thank you for pouring into this. Thank you for doing the Lord's work and helping us continue to spread the gospel both here locally, through the world, and online everywhere. We are so appreciative of you. Have a wonderful week. We can't wait to see you here next week at Anthem. Be blessed.